First Timothy 1, verse 15, that we're going to declare something over the Bible, over the Word of God tonight. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. When you get that, put your finger in there and close it up. And let's declare. You ready? Okay, let's declare our confession over this word tonight. This is my Bible. It is the inspired, infallible, immutable word of God. I long for it more than my necessary food. I love it and I'm never offended. I live by it and I prosper in whatever I do. The word that I'm about to receive will sanctify me, build me up, and give me an inheritance among the saints. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Glory to God. Y'all got it? Let's read it together. Ready, read. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, I am chief. Um, let's also add to this okay. Hebrews and chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7 and verse 25. You got it? Okay, let's read together. Ready, go. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, Father God, thank you tonight for your word. We receive it with thanksgiving. We receive it with meekness because we know it is able to save our souls. We receive the word, Lord, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, your word, which works effectively in those who believe. We declare tonight, we believe your word. So speak now. For your service we hear, we believe, and we will obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, take your seats tonight. Glory to God. We're talking tonight on this part two, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Tell your neighbor, Jesus saves. I'm so glad he saves. He saves. He saves. Now, recently, uh, two Sundays ago, was we marked uh, a holiday called Rosh Hashanah. That's in, in the Hebrew, uh, the Jewish faith. Uh, the head of the year. That's what Rosh Hashanah means, the head of the year. It's the Jewish New Year. And so we marked that because we're trying to synchronize. We are synchronizing with God. And so we marked that. And remember I told you that the name that we also use, when, if you look in the uh, Old Testament and you see, uh, you look for the phrase Rosh Hashanah, you'll never see it. What you'll see is something called Feast of Trumpets. Okay, and so we saw Feast of Trumpets. And so uh, then this past Sunday, we also saw, we didn't necessarily mark it, but in the Jewish faith, they were marking something called Yom Kippur, which is uh, also known as the Day of Atonement. But we already know Jesus Christ is already our atonement. All right? But then what's coming up this weekend, beginning this Friday through the following Friday, is what we call the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkoth. Okay? So it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I, I showed you some things from, from on this past Sunday uh, about Rosh Hashanah and about this feast, and I just want you to understand, we, you know, we're talking about this trumpet, Feast of Trumpets, and I want to remind you, or at least inform you, those you may not know, that after the trumpet, and we talked about the rapture of the church, I'll go back through a little bit of that tonight in a, in a couple minutes here. After the trumpet, we will be with the Lord. Right? That's the rapture. After the trumpet, we will be with the Lord. Okay? So let's look at a one scripture here, or one section, one segment of scripture. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 15 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15 through 18. When you have it, say amen. And it says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede or go ahead of those who are asleep or those who've died in the Lord. Understand that? Okay? Does everybody understand that? Yes, sir. Okay. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with what? With the voice of who? And, and with the what? Trumpet of, Trumpet of God. Okay? And what's going to happen? And the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? Then, everybody say then. This is our time right here. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the what? Clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Then it says, verse 18, I'll come back to verse 17. Verse 18 says, therefore comfort one another with these words. So this is supposed to encourage each other with these words. Hey, he's coming back soon, praise the Lord. Amen. It may not look wonderful now, but he's coming back. Before he comes back, it's going to be grand. Because he's not coming back for a broke down church that's hiding in a cave somewhere. He's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's going he's to glorify his church. Y'all understand that? God's not coming back, coming back for this broke down looking church we, we got going on now. He's, he's glorifying his church. You understand that? Okay. So, but go back to verse 17. Verse 17. This is after the trumpet sounds. Everybody say trumpet. trumpet. Now remember with the first feast we talked about, feast of trumpets. And it says in verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Remember 2 Chronicles 5? That was three yeses. 2 Chronicles 5, I taught you this about the, the cloud that came after they blew the, trump, the 120 trumpets. So we're at 120 jubilees. Okay? 6,000 years. There's a whole lot I don't have time to teach you tonight. But, so 120 trumpets the cloud came, okay? Those who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? And watch this last sentence. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We shall be with the Lord. So, feast of trumpets followed by feast of tabernacles. But what is tabernacles all about? It's about us tabernacling with God. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So God didn't just randomly throw feasts out there, randomly throw celebrations. He did everything to give us a picture of how things will transpire in the end. How many of y'all know what, what, what the three major feasts are? first one in the, in the spring of the year is what? Passover. Passover. Feast of Passover. What's the second one? Feast of Pentecost. Remember 50 days, 50 days after Passover. Come on, church, y'all. Embarrassing me online.
So we're going to edit all that part out. So I'm going to tell you the answer. Passover Pentecost, okay? So the first feast at the beginning of the year is what? Passover. Then the second feast 50 days later is Pentecost. Then this third major feast, which is the fall, where we're coming into next week, is Tabernacles. Y'all know that one now. Now, God did this strategically, and he showed us his plan unfolded throughout time. Passover was fulfilled when Jesus Christ went to the cross. It was fulfilled. In other words, they, did, they still do this every year, but it was fulfilled prophetically when Jesus Christ went to the cross. How many of y'all understand that? He became our Passover lamb. Please tell me y'all understand that. He's a Passover lamb. Okay, 50 days later, the Feast of Pentecost, well, we also saw Pentecost fulfilled. The upper room outpouring was the fulfillment of the Pentecost feast. The only feast that has not been prophetically fulfilled is Tabernacles. You got it? So what we mark in the next coming week or so is ongoing, but it's, it's, it's giving us a bigger picture of what God's plan is for eternity. We read in this scripture again, after we're caught up from that trumpet, right? Feast of ingathering, Pentecost is also ingathering. So when people gather together, we're going to call up together. Y'all following this? This isn't too deep for a Wednesday, right? Trumpets, that's Rosh Hashanah. Then Passover, he died. Trumpets, then we see caught together in gathering. Then the last one, tabernacle, ever be with him. It's all here in this one verse. Are you seeing this here? Okay. Revelation chapter 21. Oh, did I get verse 18? Verse 18, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, comfort. Okay, give me Revelation 21, verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3, you can write it down. It says this. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, come on, is what? With men, and he will do what? Dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So tabernacles, if you check the scriptures, is the only feast that will continue to be observed throughout eternity. Why? Because we'll be carrying this out for eternity. God himself will be with them and be their God. Well, y'all look nervous up in here. You understand this, what I'm, I'm trying to show you? I'm trying to show you that, that this, the final one we're waiting on is this tabernacles. When we hear that trumpet, boom, we're right into tabernacles. You got it? Okay. Now, go pull up 1 Corinthians 15. We were here last uh, Sunday. 51 and 52. Give me 51 and 52. Because remember what we talked about? Trumpets. Everybody say trumpets. It's interesting. I used to play. That's my instrument, trumpet. I'm a trumpet for the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I have a beautiful trumpet at home. Now, 
Apostle Paul says something to us. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. This would be good to put on Eagle's Nest right here. That would be a nice sign of Eagle's Nest, wouldn't it? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We do that. We're moving Eagle's Nest down. Where are we moving Eagle's Nest down the building for? We should have that field house. We need to put that up in the room where the baby's going to be. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay, anyway, so... Well, it's true. How many of y'all work in the nursery? You know that's true. They don't all sleep, but they all shall be changed. You should better. Verse 52. 52. When? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at what? The last, the last trumpet. Okay? For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Okay, so again, I told you Sunday, we don't know how many more trumpets we have remaining. We just know that we have one coming that will be called the last trumpet. So you and I, our job is to get, in the meantime, as many people ready for this last trumpet. That's why you and I are here. That's why when God saved you, he didn't just pull you on home. He left you and I here, you and me here, so that we can get more and more people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Y'all not excited about that? He left us here because we have work to do, ladies and gentlemen. Because we've got to bankrupt the devil. We've got to empty out his, his domain and get people into the kingdom of God because God loves everybody. Okay? Now, let's look at 2 Peter, please. I'm going to go through some scripture tonight. We preach Sunday, we'll teach tonight. Second Peter. <laughs> Somebody said I pulled my ear. I don't remember pulling my ear now. I don't, I don't remember putting my, nothing about pulling my ear. My daddy used to pull his ear when he preached. I don't remember pulling my ear. Second Peter chapter 3. All right, now I'm going to read several verses here, so is it okay if we read? Reading is fundamental. Right? Paul told Timothy to give attention to reading. He didn't even say studying at first. He said give attention to reading. So he means he encourages us. We need to read the Bible all the time. Give attention to reading. So if I read more than one verse, don't get mad at me. So we're going to read 10 verses right here. 2 Peter 3, verse 1 through 10. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your what? Pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers, scoffers will come in the last days. Everybody say scoffers. What is a scoffer, children? A scoffer is a mocker. It's someone uh, who despises the things of God. It's someone who talks down about the things of God. In fact, that word scoffers in, in, the, in the Greek uh, is also, by implication, means false teachers. If you were to study it out in the Greek, you'll see that word scoffers also means false teachers. But here, here's another word that I saw that it means, which has is, which is stood out to me, Mom, that it also means playing like children. 
when, when you see that word scoffers, it also means playing like children. So in the last days, you see people playing like children. Not taking life seriously. Everything's a game. Everything's a joke. I'm just going to party like it's 1999. Don't ever think about tomorrow. Don't even think about my life. Don't think about anybody else. Playing like children. And he said, this is who will come. And, and he's talking, you understand, he's not just talking about what's in the world. This is an epistle to the church. Okay? So he says, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. Their own lusts. That means their own desires. Not according to God's desires. And saying, watch what they say. Now this is big. Watch verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Oh, so they're saying, now y'all been saying all this time, for the last 10 years, for the last 30 years, for the last 100 years, Jesus is coming. When he coming? Y'all Christians lying, he ain't coming. Y'all church folk lying, he ain't coming. And there are people in the church who will say, no, he's not coming. Do you know there are doctors within the church? The church of people teaching that his coming is already passed or that he's not coming? That, that this is just a metaphor about him coming back? Do you know that people teach that there is no hell? <laughs> I know one thing, when you get there, it'll be a lot, very too late to find out, right? It'll be <laughs> too late to find out. <laughs> about 15 seconds after you die, it'll be too late. That there is a, a literal hell. Amen. But scoffers are saying that. So then they begin to say things like, well, where is this coming? I mean, ever since our fathers fell asleep, they've been, y'all been saying he's coming, but all things continue as they were from the very beginning of creation. Now watch, watch this. Watch this. Verse 5. For this they willfully forget. Willfully. Willfully. They, they intend to forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. In other words, they willfully forget creation. That's how we get Big Bang and evolution and all these man-made theories about how things are. The Bible didn't, didn't say they don't know it. They willfully forget it. Y'all not saying anything. In other words, in other words, catch this, Laquanda. They can see all the evidence. All their scientific research points to the evidence that God made all this. But they willfully forget, intentionally block it out. Y'all not saying. In other words, they see the truth, but block it out intentionally in order to propagate a lie, to pass on a lie. Okay? Verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with what? Well, you remember, you remember the flood of Noah's days, right? Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for what? Fire. fire. So it won't be water that, this, this time, it'll be fire this time, until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So there's coming a day of judgment of perdition, sin, and of ungodly men. So there is a judgment coming. 
Just like there's a judgment came in Noah's day. Just like a day a judgment came in Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a judgment coming uh, in this end time. But what happens is because it seems to be taking so long, people seem to push that out of their minds and act as if the judgment's not coming. But let's keep reading. Remember what we read. They willfully forget something. But it tells us in verse 8, but beloved, do not forget. You don't forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as what? A thousand years, and a thousand years is as, as one day. That's where we get the 6,000 years from God created the earth in six days. And that those six days were, were representative of the 6,000 years of humanity. And on the seventh day, he... So when you and I, when, when, when we as hum, humanity come into the seventh day, it'll be the day of rest. It's called the millennial period. How many of y'all have heard of, of the millennial period? All right. The millennial period is after the rapture. The rapture will happen. The trumpet is going to sound. The dead in Christ is going to rise first. We who are alive and remain going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be with him. Seven years will be gone. We saw the same story back in 2 Kings chapter, chapter 4. Everything points to something. Remember that, that rich woman uh, who, who was the rich woman of Shunem? She went away seven years and came back to a harvest she didn't work for? Everything points to something, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing in the Bible just happened. There's no coincidence in God. There's the Hebrew, Hebrew language doesn't even have a, the word coincidence. So that was a picture of her, her being gone seven years and coming back for something she didn't work for. So you and I will be gone seven years and come back to things we didn't work for. After that seven years, there'll be what the Bible calls a, the thousand-year reign. That's a millennium. A thousand-year reign of Christ. The seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested. On the seventh day, we'll rest. Are y'all seeing this? This is not too deep. Okay, so he's, he's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. God knows the judgment and the wrath that's coming on the earth. Well, how come God hadn't come yet? Because he's long-suffering. What does long-suffering mean? It means he's, I'm putting our, a simple word, he's very patient. Very patient. He's giving people time to come in. Not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. So God does not want anyone to perish. Ezekiel chapter 18 says God has no pleasure in the death of anyone. Not even the death of the wicked. God has no pleasure when wicked people die. God's not happy. Because he knows what, where they're going to end up when they die. For God so loved the world. Come on, y'all know it, right? That he gave what? His only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish. We can say, but come to repentance. Are y'all seeing this here? 
So not one of the innocent parents, but that all should come to repentance. So it is God's will that all come to repentance. God wants all to come to repentance. So I want you to just, just guesstimate something because I think what many times in, in the body of Christ, we ha- we've had this mistaken idea that only a few of us are going to make it into heaven. So because of that, we have, a, we have a, an erroneous approach to evangelism, an erroneous approach to winning souls that we almost kind of like want to pick and choose who. But it said, go back to that verse, verse 9 for me, please. Verse 9, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's will is that everybody comes. Do y'all see that? He wants everybody saved. He wants all men to be saved. Now, will all men be saved? No, unfortunately, no. But I got to think it's a suspicion that if he wants all, then it shouldn't be that few. It should pan out to be most. Oh, man. Are y'all hearing this? See, we got to change our mind, our outlook, our, our, our thinking to think that only a few of us are going to make it. Well, the Bible says narrow is the way, you know, the few is find find life. He wasn't talking about being saved. He's talking about in, uh, learning about how to walk in this abundant life. We're talking about people going to hell or going to heaven when he said few and narrow and then he said many and wide and broad. He wasn't talking about heaven or hell. Talking about though there'll be few who find this way of life. There, you know, there are a lot of people that sit right up in this church that are members on the roll of this church who never find abundant life. Y'all ain't saying that. They're not here tonight, so don't worry about it. The, they, many of them never, never really find the joy of salvation. They're saved though. Believe in the Lord. Why? Because only few find this way we're talking about here. But as far as getting, getting saved, he's not willing that any should perish, but that how many? All. All should come to repentance. You got it? Give me verse 10. Let's call out a verse 10 here. But the day of the Lord will come as what? Thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. A great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So that wrath, that judgment that's coming on earth, it ain't going to be pretty. Tell your neighbor, it ain't going to be pretty. I know that that's not good English, but it ain't going to be pretty. You don't want to be left down here. You want to you make sure you're right. Ask your neighbor, are you right? Are you ready? Ask him, are you right? Are you ready right now? Because you don't want to be left down here. I don't want any parts of that. Okay? Now, Give me, now let's stay in the same chapter because I want to read a few more verses from this chapter because I want to show you the warning then to the saints. Give me verse 11. Verse 11, same chapter. Same chapter. Hallelujah. Therefore, Since all these things, these earthly things, 
Remember I was telling you Sunday, I thank God for a Maybach and a Rolls Royce and a Jet and a Rolex and a Gucci and the, and the, and the what you call them shoes again? Louboutins. I'm thank, thank God for all that, but all these things will be dissolved. Enjoy them till they melt away. They're going to melt. I don't care how good a leather that, that is. The kind of fervent heat that's coming in verse 10, there's no shoes that can handle that fervent heat. There's no purse. I don't care how many cows died to make that purse. There's no purse that can handle that fervent heat. There's no car. There's no Maybach. There's no, no Mercedes. There's no BMW. There's no nothing that can handle that. No Tesla. I don't care what, what, whatever your dream car is. When that fervent heat hits, it's going it's to it's melt away. So he says, therefore, Christians, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. Now, isn't it interesting that the devil's trying to get church folk to act like your conduct don't matter? Well, grace got you covered. It doesn't matter. You can live any way you want to. No, he says, since this mess going to go up in flames, what manner of conduct are you to have? In, in, go back to that verse, verse 11 for me. Come on now. In, in holy conduct and godliness. They don't want to read that verse. Get that verse off the screen. Right Somebody shout, holy. holy! You got to be holy. The Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Come on, church folk. Y'all quiet right here. I must be in the wrong church. I must have been in church. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So if you're not going to live holy, the Bible says you're not going to see the Lord. Well, I thought I could just can't live in a kind of way. No, no, no. Holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You got it? So you got to have holy conduct and godliness, godlikeness. Y'all hold on now. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, scare you or frazzle you. I want to just encourage you tonight. Give me verse 14. Verse 14. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved. That's, that's for digging that wrong. Beloved. Looking forward to these things, not looking away, looking afraid of, looking forward to these things, all the things we talked about, we're looking forward to them. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. My, my, my. Now, most of the church don't want to hear this. You, don't, you probably will never see a conference streamed to a million people on holiness and godliness and spotlessness and blamelessness. 
You won't, you won't, you will, you probably will not see the uh, United States New York Times bestseller on holiness and godliness and blamelessness and, and, and spotlessness. And yet, here's what the requirement is for those of us in the body of Christ. And people act as if you can kind of play around with, you know, just, well, it don't matter, you know, I'll be covered. He, here's what he's saying. Tell your neighbor, and you can do this. Tell them that's what grace is for. Not to let you off the hook, but to keep you on track. It's not a license to sin, it's a license to live holy. It's an empowerment to walk right with God. It's an ability to please God. That's what grace is all about. Glory to God. Can y'all handle one more verse? Okay, verse 17. Verse 17. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, be e <laughs> I'm messing with some of y'all. Beloved. All right. Some of y'all, some of y'all. Okay, no more night terrors. We're talking. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand. Remember, we're not going to be caught off guard. We know beforehand. Beware. Watch this. This is what you need to text all your friends who's skipping all the church. Beware. Yeah, you can say, Pastor, Pastor told me to text this to you. Pastor told me to try one more time. Beware, lest you also fall from your own. From your own what? What is steadfastness? It's continuing on. Not quitting, not drawing back, not slacking up, not all of a sudden quitting church and quitting Bible studying and quitting small group and quitting everything and not, not continuing to serve God. You don't read your Bible no more. You don't pray no more. You don't fast no more. You're just chilling. <laughs> you, you fall from steadfastness. What's uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58? Give me 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Give me 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, real quick. I think this is the right scripture. Either 57, 58, one of those. 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be what? Be what? Be what? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast. Tell your neighbor, be steadfast. You don't have time to draw back. You don't have time to slack up. If you're going to slack up, do that 20 years ago. If you was going to back that thing up, you should have done that about 15 years ago. But now, don't do that now. We're too close. I said we're too close. We're too close. I'm going to be steadfast now. What you eating there? Steadfast. <laughs> Glory to God. Always. Oh, 
steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all went to my church too. Okay. Your labor is not in vain. All right, go back to, okay, y'all stop. 2 Peter 3, verse 17. Let's finish 2 Peter 3, verse 17. Hallelujah. I'm not drawing back. God said, my soul has no pleasure in those who draw back. So we say, like, like we said in Hebrews 10, we are not of those who draw back to perdition. We are those who press forward, go on to the saving of the soul. I'm not drawing back. Let me tell you something. Why would I draw back? God has been too good to me. God's been too, why would I draw back? What would I go back to, foolishness? I ain't going back there. I left all that vomit behind. The Bible says a dog returns to his vomit. I ain't no dog. Tell you that, I ain't no dog. Don't even call me dog. Hey, what's up, dog? I ain't no dog. Nobody's dog now. It's not worth it. So verse 17, we got, let's finish it. He says, so uh, since you know this before and beware, lest you also fall from your, from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. I think there's more to it. With the error of the wicked. Is there more to that verse? Okay, that's it. Okay. Being led away with the error of the wicked. Being led away. Give me verse, verse 18. Yeah, verse 18, that's what I want. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace. Grow in grace. Grow in it. Grace gives you the ability to grow. Not to be more childish. To grow. Grow. It's an ability, a divine ability gift. To function in the gifts and callings. Mature. Earth is waiting on the sons of God to come forth. You got it? Okay. Now, <clears throat> let's turn over to 1 Timothy 2. Because what we've been discussing is that the fact that uh, we saw this Sunday about how it's very easy to look around and see how people are living and, then, and how they're behaving and then simply write them off. But remember, it's his will that all men be saved. So we cannot write people off. And I know it's easy to do because I guarantee every one of us on occasion has some occasion to write somebody off and be like, they're going to bust hell wide open. Be none of my time, right. You write people off. We got to make sure we do that because Father God is very patient. Father God is very, very, and we just read about he's long-suffering. He's very, very patient. People want to know why, why, is God, why won't God just come and do something about all this stuff? Why won't God just come and fix this and end all this? Because he's patient. He's patient, and furthermore, this is what I was going to say, Laquanda, is that he's put us in charge down here. And we've got to go and begin to make things happen by his spirit. You got it? Thank you, Lord. Anybody watched the debate last night? You saw uh, the, the, the tongue tango. 
It was a tongue tango. And um, there was one part, I only caught a few minutes of it, um, but one part of it, they were talking about the crime rate under the previous administration and then the crime rate under this administration. And I think the moderator was asking something about, you know, do you think it was whatever, whatever. And I'm sitting there thinking, it wouldn't matter what administration it was, it's sin. It's sin. It's not Democrat, it's not Republican, it's sin. I said it's sin. I don't care who you stick in the office, it's sin. If we don't deal with a sin issue, you're not gonna have this issue eradicated. So we've got to make, what we can do is get people saved. You know, I heard about during the, the revivals of, um, they were in New York uh, many, many years ago. You know, there's been many great revivals like Azusa and so forth. But in, in the New York revivals, they said when that, that revival hit New York in that time, I think it was called, no, I don't want to give the name, that's probably the wrong one. But in the New York revival, I know it was there, they said that crime went down to almost zero they had to let go of law enforcement. See, when revival hits, when outpouring hits as we have been prophetically declared, then it wouldn't matter about the office. You're going to see crime go down. Are you hearing this here? All right, let me read this here. I don't want to get too caught up in that. And, all right, God wants everybody saved. Okay, so 1 Timothy 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 here. 1 Timothy 2 and verses 1 through 6. Y'all love the word, right? Okay, good, because I'm going to read a little bit more of it. Okay? Let me make sure I get to it here. All right, it says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications... Prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. See, that's four different kinds of prayer. Yeah. Yes, <clears throat> See why prayer is so important? Yeah. Be made for who? All men. all men, okay, for kings and all who are in authority, yeah. that we may lead what? In God, all godliness and reverence. Yeah. Now watch this next part here. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires... All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So notice he's saying your prayer life. Did y'all miss that? I exhort first of all the supplications, prayers, and intercession, and giving of thanks be made. Did y'all see that? Well, I don't know if prayer is all that important. You tired of people's houses being broken into? Your house being broken into? Tired of all the crime and domestic violence and all the drug abuse and everything we're seeing? Well, we need a drug program. No, we need a prayer program. Y'all ain't saying anything on this side over here. Oh, we, we, need, we need some some intervention and some prevention program. No, we need a prayer program, saints. The church has relegated its responsibility to the government. Now, I'm going to stay on this side of y'all. I'm going to say nothing. The church has relegated its responsibility to the government and wants to leave it to the government to fix all the ills of society, and the government knows they are not equipped to do it. 
They can throw money at it, but money cannot fix it. If that was the case, way back when, when I think it was Richard uh, Nixon declared a war on drugs, way back then, it would have been licked. Wait, when, 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 when did he get out of office? I mean, it was like 1973 or something like that when he got out of office? Right? I mean, Carter went in in 76. He had Gerald Ford between him, right? So, I mean, way back when Nixon was in office. War on, 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 on drugs, it would have been fixed back then. Nancy Reagan came out. That was her agenda as a, as a first lady under Reagan. Eight years, just say no to drugs. Remember the D.A.R.E. program, drug assistance, drug abuse resistance education? Remember Jesse Jackson, up with hope, down with dope? Up with hope, down with dope? Y'all I mean, got some grown-ups and y'all remember this kind of stuff. He marched through the city, up with hope, down with dope. Up with hope, down with dope. I was marching. I was marching all through the streets of St. Pete. Marching. Not, not protesting. We marching. Save the children. Save the babies. Save the children. We was marching against drugs. All through the hood. I mean, I was in all through the hood at night. Save the children. Save. We going to save the world. I didn't know I had authority to do this. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, you know intercessory prayer that we have? And giving of thanks made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires how many? How many? How many? All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the who? Man Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful that he calls him the man? So there's a man in heaven. There's a man sitting on the throne. Y'all didn't get excited. I said there's a man sitting on the throne. A man just like me. There's a man. The man... Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for a few people. There it is again, Thomas, for all. All men to be saved. Ransom for all. He didn't just pay for me and a few good church folk. Ransom for all to be testified in due time. Okay? In due time. Thank you, Lord. Now, so God wants everyone to be saved. Okay? Now, look around you. Look at the person next to you. Everyone around you, if they're, well, now I'm assuming that they're saved. I'm assuming that they're saved. You, I want you to assume. Project salvation on them. Just, I'm, I'm going to assume you saved. <laughs> First Corinthians 6 because if you look at your neighbor, they are living proof that anybody can be saved. Oh, you get it now. You get it now, don't you? They are living proof that anybody can be saved. Tell your neighbor, anybody can be saved. I mean, you're looking at me now, I'm looking at you now in all your glory, but 
you are living proof that anybody anybody can be saved. Now I'm going to give you some scripture for this here. 1 Corinthians 6. See, I'm, I'm building you up and I'm setting you up because I want you to change your outlook on people in the world. And not prejudge. Stop being prejudiced. I don't mean about white and black. I mean about who looks like they're savable. In, 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 in regular terms, they call, call something salvageable. You ever found junk out there and say, somebody, you know, one man's junk is another man's treasure? One man's trash, however they say it. Because one person sees it differently. One person throws it out, well, just this little broken over here. I, this, but somebody says, no, I can take that and, and, and repurpose it. Or I can go and put another coat of paint on it or fix the wheel on it. And all of a sudden, that, that what somebody throw, had thrown away is salvageable. And I want you to begin to see everybody on this planet around you in your purview as salvageable. I don't care how bad off they are. I don't care how mean and rotten and nasty and stinking they are. They are salvageable. How do I know? Look at me. Look at you. First Corinthians 6. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Verse 9, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither be deceived, or do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, come on. How many of y'all grew up Pentecostal? You heard these scriptures like this. Nor, you heard them in your Baptist church too. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Oh, this is where they pull the ear. Oh, no fornicators. No idolaters, no adulterers, none of them homosexuals, no sodomites. This is this kind of stuff that, that you grew up hearing here. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. You know, you know that that's, revilers is not revelers. Revelers is partiers. Revilers are those who speak harsh things, evil things. Okay? revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I hardly ever heard anybody read verse 11. But let's look at verse 11. It's, it's hard to hoop this. Oh, I can't talk about you. I can't hoop that part right there. And such were some of you. So some of you were fornicators, idolaters, I don't need anybody to testify too loud now, nor, uh, some of you were adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, now let me go back to sodomites. I'm going to go back to sodomites. Because, see, what happens is people think, I ain't on a sodomite. I ain't never done nothing like that. So, a sodomite is not just a person. Is, don't think just Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom is any unnatural intercourse. Any unnatural intercourse. I'm going to leave it blanket like that. Because I have children in the room. Okay. 
So don't talk about other folk if you're not going to look at I'm just talking about what, what you were. Not what you are, right? What you were, right? Some of you were thieves. Some of you were covetous. Some of you were drunkards, revilers, extortioners. This is what it says in verse 11. And such were some of you, but. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You were washed. This is what you do when you salvage. You were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So then you and I are living proof. Now, I know I got a few of you in here. You were born. When you were born, you know, before you were born, you got filled with the Holy Ghost while you're still in your mother's womb. You came out speaking in tongues. and You never had a bad word. And you never, you know, had a false look. And you never had a proud look. And you never had any kind of uh, ideas and None of that, all that stuff. You were perfect. You always drank eight glasses of water a day and always had, you know, ate one apple a day and ate all your fruit, all your vegetables, and all that. You did all the, everything perfectly. But most people around you, they may not admit it, but most people around you were some of them. Thank you, Lord. So we were all sinners. Tell your neighbor, we were all sinners. But the Lord, but the Lord drew us out. Okay? Can I keep going here? Now let's go back to 1 Timothy 1.15. Oh, we're making a case here. We're making a case here. Glory, yes, see. Call me the Benjamin Crump of... Everybody's lawyer. I'm being everybody's lawyer tonight. You got a case? I got your case. Okay. First Timothy 1.15 is our main scripture that we read, which Paul says here. This, you know this is Paul talking, right? We know that because verse 1, this is as Paul. Okay, Paul and Apostle. So we know it's Paul talking. Okay, so verse 15 This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Bam. Mic drop. Period. Did you see that? He came into the world, into the world to save sinners. Isn't that wonderful? Now, that may not seem like a big boom moment for any of you, but Paul said, of whom I am chief. Means Paul's like, I'm so glad he came to save sinners because I was, I was a chief sinner. Chief means like big time, head. I was, a, I was up there. I mean, some of y'all might have been, you know, little, low level, 
But Paul said, I was, I was a chief sinner. So for him, it's a big deal that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To me, it's a big deal that he came into the world to save sinners. Now, I want you please to give me that same verse in the uh, contemporary English version, CEV. Contemporary English version, please. Hallelujah. Let's look at it here. And uh, see how, how he puts it here. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This saying is true and it can be trusted. I was the worst sinner of all. Now, I, I thought it was important for me to, to give you this version here because I want you to understand when Paul said, of whom I am chief, Paul is not saying I'm still a sinner. Come over here. Because, see, there'll, there'll be people within, within teaching out there that'll say, see, Paul is saying he was still a sinner, so I'm, still, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. No, 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 no. I was a sinner. He that committed sin is a sinner. Committeth. In the King James, that means a continuous. You can, if you continue to commit sin, you are a sinner. That's what the Bible said. You commit, committeth sin. You continue to commit sin, you are a sinner. Stop being, you know, can't fool yourself just because you go to church. If you continue to commit sin, you are a sinner. Got it? So Paul wasn't saying he was a sinner. He, this is why I want to make sure you see this translation here. I was the worst sinner of all. Okay? So this saying is true, can be trusted. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want to stay in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I want to look back at Paul's testimony. And I want to see when we look through it here for a moment, can you see yourself in it anywhere? Look at what he says in verse 12. Verse 12. He says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me everybody say he enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry although I was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor and an insolent man but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief now that's boom right there because remember he said he was a chief sinner the worst sinner. But in verse 12 he says that the Lord enabled him. That's what grace is. Grace is a divine enablement. So the Lord took a man who was a chief sinner cleaned him up washed him, sanctified him justified him and put him into the ministry. Go back to verse 12 please. Please, please verse 12. Verse 12. Verse 12. He enabled me because he counted me faith. Counted me faithful. That man, now what happened after Paul got saved? He went whole hog. Paul didn't get saved and still tried to like keep one foot in the world. Well, help me get up. Y'all just gonna leave me hanging, right? Somebody had me. 
this carpet kind of slick right here. Slipping, nobody even saying anything. He counted me faithful. Put him into the ministry. So when Paul finally did answer those, you know, ask all those two questions, who are you, what we have you to do, and the Lord saved him, he went hard. He didn't look back, never looked back. You can never look back, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't look back, he'll be able to count you faithful and put you now into ministry. That's his goal for you and I to be in ministry. Okay? Every one of us. Every one of us. A preacher, you may, may not be a preacher behind a pulpit, but you are in ministry. You are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us. So he enabled Paul. Remember, now we're talking about the chief sinner. Because he counted me faithful, put me in the ministry. Verse 13. Verse 13. Although, look at this, look at this past life. I was formerly in my former life. I was a blasphemer. I blas he blasphemed God, blasphemed Jesus. That's why Jesus came out to him when he, when he first uh, hit him, knocked him off that beast. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting me. You're persecuting the body of Christ, which is the same as Christ. He said, You're formerly, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor. That's what he did, right? He, he'd march in and take people, arrest them, take them and put them in prison and have them murdered. He said, an insolent man, that's an angry man, a bitter man, or a a man is argumentative, disrespectful, and arrogant. This is the kind of guy he was. I mean, he's just a bad dude. You remember the Bible says in Acts uh, chapter 8, I think it was, that Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. Saul was consenting to his death. In fact, you read the end of chapter 7. It was Saul that held everybody's clothes while they were stoning Stephen. He's the one who said, give me your clothes. He ordered the hit. This is how bad of a guy he was. He ordered the hit on Stephen and held everybody's clothes. So when it says he was consenting, in other words, he signed off on it. He's the, he's the, the executioner or signed the death warrant on Stephen's life. This is that guy. Now you're looking at somebody because they they skip church or they don't go to church or, you know, or on, smoke a little reefer. Yeah, yeah. Smoke a little reefer. <laughs> smoke a little ganja or something. A little green. And write them off as if they can't be saved. I'm not encouraging anybody to smoke reefer. I want to make sure you understand that. I'm not legalizing weed here. I'm just telling you that we can't write people off as if there's not a chance for them to be saved. Paul was all this. He said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So the reason people are out there in the world still smoking all the weed, still sipping and tipping and tripping and dipping and pimping and himping and because they are doing it 
ignorantly in unbelief. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They think, remember Paul, Paul thought he was doing God's work. Am I right about it? Paul thought he was doing God's work. Remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a religious high man. He thought he was doing God's work by persecuting the church. Because he thought the church was some cult that had started anti-God church. So he's persecuting them because he thinks he's doing God's business. He's doing it ignorantly in unbelief. So people today that persecute the church, they're doing it ignorantly. They, they think they're doing a good thing. Oh, y'all are quiet up here in this Presbyterian church. So notice what he was. I formerly was. I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent man, so on and so forth. So God took this man who was a persecutor, made a preacher out of him. I mean, he was, he was a murderer. I mean, he made him into a preacher, into, a, into an apostle, a, a, a man of God. Can you see that? Can you see how far he brought that man? So if he can do it for him, he can do it for you and he can do it for anybody in the room. You understand that? So no matter where, where God finds you, no matter where you are when Jesus finds you, he can turn your life around. Notice he says here, but I obtain mercy. Everybody say mercy. mercy. Thank you, Lord. And, and I want to show you something here. And give me Luke 18, please. I'll probably end on this section right here because I'm out of time. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. Thank you, Jesus. I got a few more minutes? Yes, sir. Okay. Luke 18, verse, starting at verse 9. Remember he said, I obtained mercy. Yes. And he also, rather, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Y'all caught it yet? Yes. Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. In other words, they were self-righteous. And they despised or looked down on other people. So he's got to teach them a story, a, a parable to show them the error of their ways. Now watch this. Here's the parable, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now a tax collector was the equivalent of being a sinner. That's how everybody saw him. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He prayed with himself. <laughs> watch this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Here I is talking. He trusted in himself that he was righteous and despised others. 
Watch this. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So he's recounting his works and counting himself righteous. He's comparing himself to others and counting himself righteous. Not standing or in or receiving the righteousness of God which comes through Christ Jesus. Now watch this other man. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this. I tell you rather, this man went down to his house justified. Now this man is a tax collector. Justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now I want to read verse 14 in the Passion Translation, please. Give me verse 14 in the Passion, please. Thank you, Jesus. Listen to this. Which one of them left for home that day made right with God? It was the humble tax collector and not the religious leader. For everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all. And everyone who humbles himself or humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. So if you exalt yourself, make yourself all that, he's going to say, no, I'm going to put you down where you... But if you will humble yourself and say, no, I need the Lord, I need Jesus. Except for the grace of God, there go I. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Then you'll be humbled. He said, but if you do that, then you will be exalted. Amen. Amen. I'm out of time tonight. Let me skip. Let me, let me read. Let's read one last place. I'll skip down to the end here. Go back to 1 Timothy, please. Let's read one last place. We'll close. Have y'all got anything out of this tonight? Yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes. Come on, don't fool with me. Y'all got anything out of this tonight? Yes, sir. 1 Timothy 1. Let's pick back up at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is, there's our key verse, a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? Of whom I am chief. Or we know he's really saying I was a master at it. Now look at verse 16. Here's verse 16. We can go home, Devin. However, However, I was chief sinner. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. For what reason? Here it is. That in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Did you catch that, what he just said? So the reason I obtained mercy 
was for God to then make me again an example of what he can do for anybody. I just summarized the whole verse for you. He saved you first in your family. You're the first one in your family saved that you might be an example to your family of what God can do for anybody. He might have been the first one in your whole block saved so people will know and see an example of what God can do for anybody. He might be the first one in your whole class saved because God wants to use you as an example of what he can do for anybody. And when people look at you and see God, God saved you. You say, you are you you still say? They see you five years later. You still say? I had a guy one time. I seen him. I went to high school with him, and I started preaching in high school. I was a preacher in, in, in uh, my senior year in high school, and uh, I saw him maybe about 10, 15 years later out of high school. He said, "You still preaching?" Yeah, I wasn't like trying out. I was, was, was calling. <laughs> But what happens? He does these things in you to make you a pattern, an example that others can look to and see. Oh, if he can save you, he surely can save anybody. Some of you have already experienced that in your life. Where people who know you and they knew you. They know you, you, back the old you, before you were washed, before you were sanctified. For you were justified. And they see you now. They say, you? That's you? Yes. I'm a pattern. So my life. See, watch this. That's why you and I cannot afford to fall before the wicked. When the righteous, the Bible says when the righteous fall before the wicked, it's like a muddy spring, murky water. When you fall, I mean, how many times have we heard of some pastor who fell, all of a sudden, nobody, everybody's like, oh, see, they're all the same. See, because when the righteous fall before the wicked, it's like a murky spring, uh, muddy waters and so forth. See, so we, we're not supposed to fall. Our lives are supposed to be an example to people in a pattern of God can take anybody off the trash heap, wash you, sanctify you, justify you, beautify you. Come on, how many of y'all know that y'all look a lot better now than you were before you got saved? Come on, tell, tell your neighbor, you look much better now than... Tell somebody else who really needs to hear it. Come on, you, you look a whole lot better now than before you got saved. I'm so glad you got saved. I'm so glad you got saved. He beautifies the meat with salvation. Come on, get on your feet and give God a praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So glad you got saved. If not, it would have been like Sugar and Miss Celia. You sure is ugly. still ugly. No, but see, once we get saved, our lives are a pattern. And I'll get to this after this faith meeting is over. Uh, we're going to get into this uttermost part, Hebrews 7, because he's going to save us at uttermost, and that uttermost is a pattern. 
So when people look at your life and see where you came from, where you are, and they can, they can map your trajectory to see the path where you're going, all of a sudden they see, wow, I need to give my life to Christ. And the ultimate goal, I didn't get a chance to read it, but the ultimate goal of the baker is to see what happened in Acts 16. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. The same Paul. Thrown in jail in Philippi. Thrown in jail, but at midnight, they're praying and praising God. And because they are praying and praising God, the power of God hits that jail. The an earthquake happens, rocks the jail, opens the doors, knocks off all their chains and their fetters. The jailer runs in, gets a lamp, a torch, and runs in to see, hey, where's everybody? They say, hey, cool your jets, calm your jets. We're still here. We're still here. Do yourself no harm. He's going to kill himself. Because he, as a guard, if you lost your inmates, you were gonna be, you're going to be killed by the government. So he says he's going to kill, kill himself. And so he said, no, don't hurt yourself. I'm still here. We're still here. He, also, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Y'all didn't catch it. When, they, when he saw the miracle on these men's lives, his question wasn't, how did this happen? He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's the same question the rich young ruler had when he came to Jesus. He saw Jesus' life. He's like, sir, how do I get in that eternal life? When people see your lives as God saved, Jesus Christ saves you to the uttermost, they'll begin to say, mm, what must I do to be saved? When they hit a, a point of hopelessness in their lives, they've done all the drugs they can do, they swap men and women, all the things they can do, trying to find happiness and peace, and they just can't find it nowhere. And they look at you, and you're smiling, and you're joyful, and you're healthy, and you're strong, and enjoying your life, and serving Jesus, and you always got a smile on your face. They're going to say, sir, ma'am, what must I do to be saved? That's the goal. That's the goal. When your life becomes that pattern, It'll happen all the time. Amen. Did you receive that tonight? Yes, Come on, put those hands together and give God a praise tonight if you received that word. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Father, we just want to say thank you tonight for how you saved our lives. You saved us. We can look back over our lives and see where you brought us from. We were just like some of those people in that list. But you washed us. You sanctified us. You justified us. You brought us into the family of God. You turned our lives around. When we were thrown in a trash heap, when the enemy had used us up and tossed us aside, you saw us as salvageable. You saw that you could do something with our lives. Thank you that you didn't leave us where you found us and you haven't left us the way you found us. No, you've cleaned us up. You've beautified our lives. You put a smile on our faces. You've put your joy down in our hearts. You've put your love down in our hearts, oh God. You've put a spring in our steps, oh God. You've given us life and life more abundantly. So tonight, we thank you so much that you've made us patterns 
for our families. So we pray for our brothers and our sisters and our sons and our daughters and our parents and those who know us. They've known us our whole lives. We pray for those people who are our friends or our neighbors, or our coworkers, or our classmates who've known us a long time. That, Lord, that they see the pattern of our lives and that they ultimately come to this question, what must I do to be saved? Tonight, thank you that, God, you not only have been working in us and doing things for us, but you are working through us. We yield ourselves and our, our lives to you so that you can do the great things that you have planned in the earth today. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Give us hearts to love the way you love. Help us, Lord, to not prejudge people and condemn people to hell when it's your will that all people repent, that all people come to you and be saved. So help us to have a compassionate heart, loving hearts, be patient and kind, and use our mouths and use every resource you've given us to plant seed, to water seed, so that God, at the right time, you give the increase in someone's life. Thank you, Lord, for the mighty harvest. We pray that, Father, you would send labors into the harvest, that this harvest, this end-time harvest of souls will come in before that last trumpet sounds, before the dead in Christ rise, so that all of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the air with you, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that it is so in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Put those hands together one more time and give God praise tonight.